Welcome back to the Fresh Young Podcast, a Chinese medicine podcast hosted by Chinese medicine practitioners. We released every episode every month. And if you're new here, feel free to subscribe or follow us to keep up to date with our uploads. I'm Charlene and I'm joined by Tom. Hello. Hello. Sorry, I like stuttered a little bit (laughs) and said the wrong words. That's all good. It is a little bit of a different podcast this month anyway. So yeah, it is. So yeah, we're surprised we're not doing part three of Shen today. Um, We're actually changing it up. We're going to do some case studies for you because I think in a lot of the episodes we drone on about case studies and then maybe we'll do case study episodes Um, and this month has been a little bit hectic for all of us getting close to the end of the year time and um, Tom has exams and a wedding to attend so yeah and I may not have finished my part of the book as well so I apologize (laughs) for that but we might do another episode mid this month I finish reading and catching up to the last final bits of Shen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what's been happening with us. Any, I mean, apart from what I mentioned, any updates on how, how life is going, how your, is it second year as a practitioner now? Uh, first year still for me. First this year is still. the, oh, I've technically hit past one year after mm-hmm. May, June kind of season. So it's like one and a little bit for me. Yeah. What about you? Any difference yeah. for you? I think you've hit one plus one and a half. One and a half is yeah, one and a half yeah. um years as well. Yeah, I think similar timing. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think I can see growth. Like the things I will, especially because one of my friends just started practicing as well. And we kind of talk about it. Um, and she's in the same company. So it's kind of easy or like it's more straightforward for me to see that progression. So I can see like those are the things I used to worry about. And now I worry about different things. So yeah, I think I can see growth and progress. Okay. Exciting. I, yeah, that's that's good. Really good to hear. My question mm-hmm. for you would be, if you had to tell yourself a year ago, a year and a half ago, when you're still mm-hmm. a baby, um, what would you have told yourself now to sort of look out for or pit stops that you could have avoided while you were progressing through your first mm-hmm. year? that's really simple because it's literally all the stuff that I tell my friend yeah. <laughs> and it's just um, don't stress and don't worry that you don't know everything because you're not expected to know everything. Um, you just try your best and you just put it your heart into it and that's all you can do. <laughs> and the most important thing is that you're only with the patient for a short amount of time each week, like one or two hours. If things don't get better at the rate you want want them to, or um, if say things go backwards a little bit, like don't beat yourself up, like find out what's going on before you blame yourself. I think that's a big thing. Mm. Well, that was a big thing for me was like, oh, you're not getting better quick enough. Um, or, you know, you had a flare up, something like that. I was, I would always put that on myself. Yeah. Whereas now I'm like, okay, there's like a whole bunch of factors that go into this. And it's not just that my treatment is not working or not enough, or yeah, I'm not doing enough. It's like, also, what has the patient been doing this week? Exactly. Yeah. So, so it's like, 
you're kind of taking your own, uh, not ego, but your own ability to sort of be like, oh my God, I'm solely responsible for this patient's health and being like, Mm -hmm. we're only a small part of their health journey, you know, but like one Mm -hmm. pit stop, there could be other doctors, there could be other things that the medication that can also affect how they're progressing in terms of their treatments Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. And Chinese medicine and acupuncture is really, really great, but we're not like miracle workers. Like there's only, there's only so much that we can do, um, especially if you get a person who's doesn't believe in you. And it's just like, uh, I'm here because so-and-so said I need to come, blah, blah, blah. I don't believe in Chinese medicine. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, cool. Yeah. I completely, I think from my experience as well, those kind of patients are probably the most difficult to treat because Mm -hmm. they themselves already have that mindset where, I mean, I'm open to the idea of getting better, but do I believe in your way of treating it? Not really, you know, and they already have that sort of, oh, sorry. Yeah, you go. I was going to, no, I was just going to say their shen is not on board. Exactly. And their their mind and their heart is already not into wanting to improve with your treatments. Mm-hmm. So very difficult, yeah. those patients. It, it is a good feeling if you do manage to convert those kind of patients to come back mm-hmm. for treatments and stuff. But you can't help them all, can you? Yeah. Yeah. We can just try our best. Yes. I think so. Yes. So how about you? Any Any words to your one and a half year self? Um, I think a lot of what you said is very, very true. I think I would have appreciated that advice as well um, when I was just starting. But I guess mostly things that I would probably talk about is like try to look for ways that you can find answers. So for me, it was through this podcast. It was through reading books, asking other practitioners. Um, Something I learned that is a lot of practitioners don't just really follow the main Chinese medicine theory. It's kind of like their foundation. And then there's a lot of different branches that you can look at in terms of how to treat your patients. So don't feel like it's my way or the highway or my mm-hmm. God, there's only one form that I can use to sort of treat these patients. You can look into uh, lots of different types of theories. There's like classical lit, there's all these different like tans, tongs for acupuncture and herbal treatment is like a whole category in itself. Like the old and classical ways or like using all the new modern different types. It's it, There's a lot. And especially for more chronic and more difficult cases, you f- shouldn't feel that pressure of having to solve them instantly. Like, for example, something I would feel really bad for is when patients have nerve pain and I would four or five treatments, I see them, the nerve pain is still there, straw, the muscles and stuff have reduced, but I'd be like, I'm not doing enough. I need to, I need to do more because they've still got nerve, nerve pain or nerve damage or whatever. And it takes a long time for that sort of stuff to heal. It's like, I had to come to realize when I talked to other practitioners that muscles are really easy to treat. Tendons take a little bit more time and nerves are even longer than that. So understanding that and telling to the patient so they can understand as well that it takes time with this stuff for you and for the patients to improve. And once you can accept that and you tell patients that if they're able to accept that you can actually build a a more a holistic and more long-term relationship with patients as well mm, yeah yeah the nerve pain is also something i still 
struggle with as well trading wise yeah and I think communication wise yeah the like helping them to understand what the goal of Chinese medicine and acupuncture is in their pain yes so yeah yeah that's something I 100% I like for me I think at the moment is um I guess something that popped up was like the financial aspect of patients as well as how often you would like to treat them because something I'm kind of I'm not struggling with something that's pondering on my mind is like you want patients to come back right and you know that things will gradually improve but patients have this financial burden of having to pay Mm. at least around $80 plus a week or how often you see them each week and that's the Mm. biggest deterrent where I'm facing now one and a half years where I'm like I tell patients to come back, but they feel, oh, it's too much money and they can't really see that value in their health. So that's the kind of issues I'm dealing with now that I hope uh, one year of me ahead can hopefully <laughs> solve. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Do you have any insights into that kind of problem at the moment? I think it's, yeah, that's something that we have to deal with as well. And I guess it's hard, but what um, what I've been told is, it's not our job to worry about their financial constraints. So as their doctor, we make the recommendation for what we what we think will help them get better. And if it's treatment once a week, treatment twice a week, then that's, that's what we say and that's what we recommend. Mm. Um, because if we're thinking about the financial aspects for them, we're not fully focusing on, the health, on their health. So like I understand, as well like I do the same I get worried about the money side so I'm still working on this as well um but like a more experienced practitioner said to me you know that's not our job to worry about it if they want to get better if this is something they want to do they'll find a way um we can't like add that burden onto what we you know what we already worry about for them so Mm -hmm. and it's not in our control their financial state and we don't know anything about that so yeah she was just like when you make your recommendations when you do your treatments when you help them like book appointments like don't think about any of that stuff just think about them getting better hmm. so, yeah. yeah wise words don't know if that's helpful but yeah yeah there you go see that's <laughs> one of the things you should do ask the people yeah. who have been through the same sort of steps that you've gone through now yeah, I think that's really important as well because we were talking about this, I think maybe a little while ago. Like, the, what uh, I'm going back to what you're talking about finding information and mm-hmm. then um, being in a place where you can ask for help um, or like have a mentor basically that you can just feel comfortable to ask these questions to. Um, I think is another thing that I want to add on to like where you can find information from um or even if it's just maybe like an old lecturer or um someone who just graduated before you who's just gone through like a little bit more ahead of you more ahead of time even like one year even two years ahead of you they'll experience different things from you so yeah I think it's worth reaching out and keeping in touch yeah especially if you're currently still in uni or you're studying at somewhere keeping out sort of talking to people in that same community can really help. Mm, yeah. Mm. And I think Melbourne, well, the Melbourne community, like everyone knows everyone. 
everyone's got some connection to someone or like or knows the clinic it's yeah it's really I think it's really nice to have a lot of people that you can reach out to yeah I think the good thing about Chinese medicine is that everyone's like in medicine into helping people so when they see someone else struggling they're more than likely to try and help you as well Mm -hmm. if they can should we get on to some case studies yeah let's do some case studies that was a very deep and sorry I just like (laughs) conversation for us in the past and for people who are also uh, just starting their practice as well at mm-hmm. the moment. Yeah. For the first case study, this is based on one of the case studies that we covered in the Shen book. So it's still very relevant, but we didn't talk about it because I it wasn't that relevant during the second section. So there's a 36-year-old female patient who's coming in. It's an amenorrhea case. She hasn't had periods for two and a half years. And she, uh, the amenorrhea dated from a pregnancy which she had terminated under great duress and with great distress. So she saw another herbalist who gave her really strong tasting herbs for six months. She tried acupuncture and her doctor kept choking her hormone levels with blood tests, but they all gave back normal readings. So she described her cyclical abdomen, breast and mood changes and described sharp pain low in her abdomen. She was bothered by a lot of skin rashes, but other than that, she was probably in very good health. Uh, Her pulse was unremarkable, but her tongue was pale and had a hue, like a thin, shiny hue on it. During this kind of cases, in this case study, she was diagnosed with blood stagnation, given her past history. Uh, Her gynecologist ordered a histosalphingogram. (laughs) <laughs> probably didn't pronounce that correctly hyster or hydro hyster it's it's hyster is like uterus yeah it's like a uterus hyster it's a uterus scan probably pretty mm-hmm. much yeah mm-hmm. um where they use a dye and stuff to sort of look at the uterus and see all the linings and stuff i'm guessing yeah. um yeah so Typically, what they would do in this case study is, because it's blood stag, I think this is a fairly easy case that they use, um, where they just use Tao Hong Si Wutang, where they use 10 grams of Tao Ren, 5 grams of Hong Hua, 10 grams of Tang Kui, 10 grams of Chi Shao, 5 grams of Chuan Shong, and 10 grams of Shu Di, just to help move the blood, get that sort of blood moving in through the uterus, and clear out any sort of blood stagnation. Um they also use points like spleen 10, spleen 6, stomach 29, liver 2, and CV4 to flush out any of the old blood and return her back to normal health as well. That's a... Yeah, pretty standard. Pretty sounds like. Yeah. How yeah. old? Uh, 30, 30, 36 years old. 36. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some points that you can also use as well for... Amenorrhea from blood stasis are points like stomach 29 to regulate qi and blood in the lower abdomen, uh, kidney 14 and kidney 19 to clear any blood st- stagnation in the trunk vessels, spleen 10 or spleen 6 to regulate blood in the uterus, and also bladder 17 for any kind of blood disorders as well. During this time, if you find that there's some cold or young deficiency in any of that, you can also use moxa on stomach 29 as well Mm. moxa is really good for fertility 
Yeah, I think it's yeah. something that we don't really use. You don't really see as much in clinics because of how troubling, uh, troublesome, <laughs> troublesome it is to actually use yes. because of all the smoke. But and all the all the exhaust, the smell. I think the because they have smokeless moxa yeah. now, but I think the smell is still the big thing that deters people. Yeah, because mm-hmm. I actually like the smell of normal moxa. But mm. because of the smoke, that's the biggest problem. But smokeless moxa smells atrocious, in my in my opinion. I think mm. it smells like um, burnt rubber. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that in your clinic. No, and a patient's kind of like, oh my god, I've got to come mm. in for some smelling or throat stuff if I keep smelling yeah. this. Yeah, mm. this smokeless moxa. But uh, topping's good as well. Cupping on the uterus for, and stuff? Uh, on the ab- Yeah, you can do it on the abdomen or you can do lower back over kidney area yep. as well. Mm. Especially if there's lots of stagnation, you can just do cupping along the like do and the like bladder channels on the back as well. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I think do channel is a really good one on the mm. back as well to open up all that mm. sort of stuff there. Mm. Did she, did the, um, Case study mention any like organs that were involved? Um, not really. I mean, I think liver. <laughs> liver, <laughs> yeah, obviously a big one for blood. Um, mm. Liver, kidney, right? If she was oh, under duress or fearful when she had the uh, duress, when she, had she was duress. under great mm. duress and distress. Mm, okay. So there might yeah. be some kidney fright involvement as well. Mm. I realized that this is from not from the Shin book. I've, this is actually uh. from a different book called um, Treatment of Infertility with Chinese Medicine by Jane oh. uh, Littleton. Littleton, yeah. yeah. She's a great, okay. she's amazing for fertility stuff. That's, that, that's on our list. Yes. That's that on, is our, on list our list that we haven't gotten to, to recording. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, she's, oh, she's so good for fertility. She tracks like, and I have a few practitioners that I've talked to about uh, tracking basal body temperatures so, mm-hmm. and that sort of stuff. What are your thoughts on using that for treating infertility and that sort of stuff? I'm for. Yeah. I'm for. Because the other ways you track ovulation or your cycle is the, what, the um, OPK? OPK. The, yep. Yeah. Or you get the blood test from the doctor. But how do you know, like, you you get your day three blood test that's standard but the second one you get to track ovulation is seven days after ovulation how do you know you're ovulating if you're not tracking your body temperature very true yeah very true and with patients and i know a lot of patients that are like no um I just want to track with the kit, but then they've got a history of PCOS and they have cervical mucus, just not just in ovulation time, their hormone spikes, not just in ovulation time. It's not accurate. Like with an OPK, if you've got PCOS. So yeah, just track with your body temperature. Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I think she uses like other stuff as well. She makes you test like, like you're saying cervical mucus and all that sort of stuff Mm. as well just to see consistency and not just just using like period and stuff to regulate and that sort of stuff it's really cool she comes a lot there's there's a lot 
to do with fertility and even more now when with IVF being so common. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting topic. Yeah, it is, and we'll, I think we'll cover we'll do another book series to cover all of fertility because it's there's all of so fertility. much. <laughs> Probably not all of fertility, but like just that one book on fertility because mm-hmm. there's so much involved. Yeah, in yeah, I think that needs a series that yeah. book. And it's not just the women as well; the guys need a lot of stuff as well mm. for fertility yeah mm. all right Alrighty. let's move on to the next case study so next one shall we do a digestion one let's so digestion one. um she's female 26 years old and a clerical worker chief complaint is irregular bowel movements for five years So the patient has up to eight bowel movements a day, with the first being larger, followed by smaller movements. They are loose with no foul smell and are urgent. There's no discomfort or pain either preceding, during, or after a bowel movement. She easily becomes bloated, especially around the umbilicus, and she complains of waking tired and cranky as well as being tired in the afternoon. Her head is foggy and she tends to get hot easily, although she used to be more susceptible to cold. Her sleep is good and urination's normal and she's easily thirsty. She suffers dull frontal headaches that are worse when she's tired and her pulse is thready, especially of the guan positions and her tongue is pale with enlarged edges and a watery coat. So this case study is from our uni days. Um, and so do you want me to just jump into the flow chart yeah, just or go into should the I go chart. through the thinking? Yeah. Um, so lots of spleen and dampness signs, but also a little bit of like heat yin deficiency signs as well. Um, with a little bit of a, um, weaker kidney pulse, So the overall diagnosis was, I think, damp and then chi deficiency and a bit of yin deficiency with spleen TT um, being down. So then the formula you can use is Shenling Baiju as a base, or you can use like Sujun Zetang and then just modify, um, adding in some blood tonics and some yin, um, yin tonics, is that the right word? Yeah, yin tonics and some um, clearing damp and regulating chi. Um, especially spleen chi herbs. Um, yeah, and then acupuncture points, you can do spleen 6, stomach 36, spleen 9, CV12, stomach 25, um, bladder 17. You can do... Do you ever do any sanjiao points? Sanjiao 5, sanjiao 3, mm. 4. See, this, I think this is a deficiency diarrhea mm-hmm. rather than say like an excess and i think for me personally i use sanja a bit more if it's an excess mm-hmm. um like diarrhea condition or like not diarrhea um like bowel movement condition like mm-hmm. a bit more constipation a bit more heat a um, bit more heat related yeah um, i think personally i tend to use sanja for more excess um yeah. digestive conditions and same mm-hmm. with like the large intestine channel mm-hmm. what about you for diarrhea for this loose diarrhea that sort of stuff um or the sanjiao channel like what would you use it for uh, uh, or both like 
both questions then. Both questions. I use it. Yeah. Uh, I just think if there's some blockages and things that aren't moving through the sunshower, I would try mm -hmm. and just use it. And I don't, for me, like I can see what you're trying to say with mm. using it more for excess or clearing out like externally kind of stuff. That's how I kind of see sunshower as well. It's not mm -hmm. just the water stuff. You can also use it. I always think of sunshower five as like the guaju of <laughs> um, acupuncture points where you can just use mm -hmm. it to open up passages and let things kind of go up and close the mm -hmm. sort of dam. So mm -hmm. I think I'm yeah. a little bit more liberal with how I use sunjiao, <laughs> I guess you could say. Okay. I guess sunjiao is related to everything like food, water, movement, like inner, outer, because it's semi in, like it's in that um Xiaoyang level so it does like inner and outer so mm -hmm. I guess you could use it for like it's just very versatile it is very versatile <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, anything you want to add to the case study not really full no pretty happy with it yeah it's good. pretty pretty straightforward pretty chill pretty chill case as well pretty yeah mm. I mean not chill that she's having eight bowel motions a day yes but... yes definitely more on the severe case of things mm. and should need probably more consistent acupuncture and maybe a bit stronger larger doses as well yeah and to also check the her like water intake and water fluid intake i guess mm. if she's um having that many bowel movements a day yes It'll definitely yeah. drain her and Dryness mm. is obviously a big factor as well. Yeah, because if the it, yin deficiency, yin deficiency, and obviously mm. if that keeps progressing, then she probably won't get diarrhea, but she'll start to change to maybe deficient heat mm. sinus of symptoms as well with yeah. all the dryness mm -hmm. involved. Mm. Interesting. Huh. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Uh, this is the original case study I wanted to cover from the Shen book. Um, <laughs> so this one is. Uh, having she's a 52 year old woman and she's trying to get she's getting an urgent appointment for cervical pain radiating to the head that's mm -hmm. been pinging off for the last few days she uh, anytime she opens her mouth or she swallows she feels that kind of really really strong radiating pain to her head mm -hmm. it's located on the median line and there's no dizziness but she also suffers from paracervical pain on the right for the last couple of years as well. And she worsens whenever she, she turns her head to the left-hand side. She's mm. apprehensive and anxious, and she suffers from tachycardia and palpitations both during the day and night, has trouble falling asleep, and she feels a constant knot in her throat whenever she's agitated. This kind of, this kind of disturbance or blockage in the throat goes back to the period following her second pregnancy 30 years earlier when it was at its worst and now seems to be the element of which most bothers and frightens her. Her face isn't that tense, but it's on the verge of crying and weeping. Uh, in menopause, she's been in menopause for two years and she still gets hot flushes, hot flushes and she has vaginal dryness and uh, zero desire to have sex. So libido is pretty much zero. She mm -hmm. often has bloating and her powers tends to be more constipated, um, but she keeps trying to eat proper regular meals. Her tongue is slightly red, 
and her pulse is thin and tight. So the diagnosis is acute stagnation of qi and blood in the dumai, emptiness of yin with empty heat and restlessness of the shen. There's also liver qi stagnation with meihe qi. Oh my god, this is the meihe qi kind of case. <laughs> we covered um, during the end of this, the previous episode. So treatment principles include circulating qi and blood in the dumarian, move and regulate liver qi, nourish yin, and clear deficient heat. So what they recommend in these kind of case studies is it's 15 weeks with once a week kind of treatments. Um, once they hit past that, then you can do it less frequently, maybe once every two weeks. But there should be at least a total of five months for treating these kind of conditions. The first treatment is during the first treatment, they recommend points such as GB20, 214, do 16, small intestine 3, GB21. So similar points around the head, around the due meridian, uh, things that affect the upper, small intestine 3, that affect the upper sort of regions of the head. Second treatments include GB20, do 14, um, bilau, heart 7, spleen 6. And see how they're going. Uh, apparently in this case study, from treatments three to six, she started to feel more calm. She feels like she's a little bit more um, in control and she feels she no longer feels that obstruction in her throat, which is the biggest cause of her fright. Uh, she's feeling a little bit less nauseous um, and her sleep and palpitations have improved. Uh, following that, they would constantly alternate between points like GB20, Yin Tang, LI4, liver 3, gallbladder 34, uh, points like CV17, CV6 can also be used just for the upper upper part of the, uh, just for the CV kind of meridians. From treatment 7 to 15, they work more on the hot flushes, sweating, dry mouth, vaginal dryness, absence of libido. So they'd use points like GB20, CV4, stomach 29, heart 7, or heart 6, and spleen 6. Following that sort of stuff, she can you can use uh, things like do three, bladder twenty five, bladder thirty one, thirty two, bladder sixty, and yeah, I think that's all they kind of use. Um, obviously, try and accommodate to different stuff. the mm. The plumstone chi is the kind of sensation that she was feeling, so uh, while they don't really mention any herbs in this case study. You can use like, I think it was Pansia Siesintang, PXXXT. Pansia Hopotang. Oh, Hopotang was the one, sorry. Mm. That was for Plumstone Chi. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an interesting, interesting case. Have you had any Plumstone Chi patients? Uh, Yeah, I've had one or two. Mm. Yeah, it's actually quite common. Yeah, especially for... uh, anxiousness kind of rising from the chest and it comes mm-hmm. and gets stuck in the throat mm-hmm. mm, yeah a few of those ones hmm. so i think that we're running out of time to do one last case study yeah but um i guess i just want to before we finish ask like when you do 
do case studies or when you do see patients, like, is there a train of thought that you go through or like, what's the first thing that you ask or what's really important um, when you are doing case studies or seeing patients? Like, yeah, what's something that we can give the listeners to take away, like when they're doing case studies? Case studies and treatments and stuff like Mm. that. Um, For me, uh, we, I kind of follow like a flow chart, I guess you could say. So I'd look at different organs, things. It's like kind of like um, a light, light system where um, while they're describing the symptoms, different organs will pop up. And then as they keep mentioning more organs, I think of the functions and uh, things, organs all tend to light up more. Mm-hmm. And then I look into the chi and blood, yin, yang cycle and stuff like that. And then I use mm-hmm. that to form the diagnosis of how I want to yeah. treat the patient and then use points to sort of move stuff, mm. do stuff, that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. So, yeah. So you kind of have, it's like the get, when you play guess who you've got all the um, exact organs and yeah. all the functions there. It's like, not this, not this, yeah. not this. Yeah. And then you get to your diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. That's how I kind of do it. And then I think afterwards I just be like, uh, this, if you, this point would be good as well. Oh yeah. This point. And then mm-hmm. I just slap yeah. in one or two points. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think. What about you? It, similar as well. I think, um, yeah, you just have all your organs. And then as they kind of, I think for me, it's like um, things start to pop up rather yeah, than eliminating exactly. things. Yeah, I'm the opposite I, I way. I'm yes. just like, it's things a blank slate. And then it's just like, <laughs> oh, liver's popped up. Oh, Spleen's popped up. Oh, kidneys popped up. Well, like yeah. blood's popped up. So exactly. yeah, I think yeah. I think it's a logic. It gets it gets more logical. Yes, mm. exactly okay. right. And as always, thank you for listening to the Forever Young podcast. Don't forget to follow us on social media and join our Facebook discussion page. And, and we've been on the Forever Young podcast, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.